Okay. So, again, Job 6. So, uh, we asked the question, why is suicide wrong? Um, and so what, I think we'd started on that, but what, what would you say? Um, I suppose if you want to make the argument that it's not, you can give it a go, but I think you'd be against some biblical material. But so why would it be wrong? What, what would be the biblical principles that would say that's just not right? Yeah. I would say for mainly two reasons. <clears throat> One, God gave life, and it is He alone that can take it. Okay. Two, murder is wrong, including self-murder. Okay. <laughs> the other thing I'd start over with that is, is hope. Again, we have our eternal hope mm. in Christ and Christ alone. And that hope is just an enormous blessing. And, and suicide, you know, when you you're more well-versed than this than I am, but from a psychological perspective, what I've read, mm. it, it's the epitome of hopelessness. And so yeah. you've got that dichotomy between eternal hope and hopelessness. Yeah. So um, I think that's how you juxtapose saying that as a Christian with eternal hope, delving into that depth of despair mm. of hopelessness to the point of... Right, good. I think, so the only exception might be that then you'd need to draw on those two things are, I've seen a couple of times where somebody just said, no, I have hope, but my hope is eternal, and I just want to be with God. And they, if Scripture said that's okay, that's a legitimate thing, then, you know, maybe you could just say, well, it's just I have this other hope and I, I don't have any hope in this world, but I have hope in the next. But again, I, I totally agree that that's not a that's not a biblical position. So, yeah. Is it considered a suicide? It seems to be um, doctors today will, out of compassion, I guess, for the mm -hmm. person, uh, add more morphine until the person dies, and that's mm -hmm. happened, you know a lot of people that I've known. Yeah. When they're on a machine, if they were to take the machine away, they would die anyway. Uh, so I could see that a little bit better than just speeding up the process. I have, I don't know. That was a perfect segue. <laughs> so we're going to talk about that a little bit. Because, yeah, it's not quite as simple as, um, you know, like back in Shakespeare's famous to be or not to be, he talks about that, you know, he could do himself away with a, with a, I think they call it a mere bodkin, which is a knife. So, but that's not always what we're talking about is just taking pills or, um, or taking our life in some really specific way. So let's, let's kind of walk through it. So on your sheet there, um, where it says, we are, we are not our own. We belong to our maker. And in some verses that's called the potter. Uh, so only God has the right over our life and death. Um, and let's let's look at a couple of these. You can just you can turn to them or just listen. But Isaiah forty-five nine, woe to the one who quarrels with his maker, an earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth. Will the clay say to the potter, "What are you doing?" Or the thing you are making say, 
he has no hands. And I think as, as we go through these, they sort of build on each other. That's kind of the beginning of that position, though, that he's, he's our maker. And if he's bringing us through something, for us to sort of take that into our own hands and, and take our life is, uh, I would say, arguing uh, and quarreling with our maker. Romans 9, 21, does, the, does not the potter have a right over the clay? 1 Corinthians 6, 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. So again, that idea that we've been given, we've been created, we've been given this body in, it, in, a, in a very real way. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit, not our own, to do what we want with. Deuteronomy 32, 39. See now that I, even I, am He. This is God speaking. There is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Similar in 2 Kings 5, 7, the king of Israel read the letter and tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive? That this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy. So recognizing that he's being asked to do something that only God can do. Uh, Psalm 139.16, a familiar passage. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. So God is, is ordaining uh, our life. Um, Job, Job 14.5, last one. Since his days are determined, the number of his month is with you. This is talking about man. And his limits you have set so that he cannot pass. Um, and then, as was mentioned uh, on your sheet there, it is self-murder, uh, breaking the sixth commandment. And I think we could say, um, now again, the balance here that I hope we come out at the end, I, there's a lot of room for <coughs> compassion. When somebody gets to that point. So it's not that we're just trying to, you know, dump on that as, as much as we can. But at the same time, we don't want our compassion to push us so far that we go against what God would say about this. To say, oh no, that was, that was. And I, I think if, if any of you have seen when somebody's taken their life, and it, I wish it wouldn't even go on places like Facebook because... You get a lot of comments, and sometimes people are trying to be so compassionate that they say things that, that sort of affirm that that was a good choice. That was, you know, in his place. That was, that was I'm not going to say that wasn't the right thing to do and this and that. It's probably just not a great place to be saying much of anything because it's so hard to say something well. Yeah. Earlier when we were talking about, so what, you know, the people in the Bible that were depressed and maybe, you know, suicidal, quote, you know, why did they not? Well, I think, you know, not only they had hope, but I think there was his trust, trust in mm -hmm. God that mm -hmm. he's in control of every one of our circumstances. And they say that suicide's the number one selfish act. And mm -hmm. it's like the people that do it, you know, they're not seeing God in control of their life. Mm -hmm. And well, he says, you know, I won't let you experience anything that, you know, you can't handle and I'll have to help you through it. And so, you know, they're not even, 
they're even thinking about that, that they should just trust in God and their circumstances and that he will deal with that if they right. trust in him. So, I, you know, yeah, the, the whole thing is a big part. I think it's the trusting thing. Too. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. And, um, yeah, and, of course, there are places like, um, I think it's Genesis 9, 6, that, uh, that when... Uh, man's blood is shed, that person, you can shed his blood. Um, and so there are places where trusting God might include taking a life, but this isn't one of them because it, it's clearly laid out that way. Um, so, yes, the idea that it's self-centered is the second. Uh, Philippians 2, 3, and for um, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And again, I don't want to. I don't want to over. I, I mean, I want these principles in our mind, but but realize when you're dealing with somebody, it, it's it's never easy. Uh, there are people who say, I think absolutely the best thing I could do for my family. I had somebody who was fairly close to me and thankfully didn't follow through, but said, I have a huge life insurance policy. I am completely messing up as a provider. Uh, my family is struggling. The best thing I, and, and I'm not getting along with my wife, the best thing I could possibly do is to disappear. And I can do it in a way where it's not known that it was even a suicide. <laughs> Um, so there are, you know, it, it, it's not like one verse is going to just answer all the questions, but I, I think we want to be steeped in it so we're able to give counsel that's both compassionate and, uh, and godly. So then the third thing on there, yet not the unforgivable sin. There just isn't evidence that. So when somebody says, could somebody who commits suicide still go to heaven? Yeah, people can do horrible things and still go to heaven. That's not how any of us wants to go out, though, is with our last act on this earth being something that is in disobedience and lack of trust in our God. So certainly not at all the way any of us would want to go, but yet forgivable. Um, when it talks about... Uh, the unforgivable sin, Matthew 12, 31. Therefore, I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. So there's, there's one that's pointed out, and, and all the others are laid out as these things are all forgivable. Um, so again, that balance of we want to see it as clearly, specifically, wrong, never the right answer uh, to our struggles or the struggles of people we care about, um, but at the same time forgivable and something that we can have still a level of compassion. I mean, when people fall into sin, we can still be compassionate about it. We just don't want to cross over into saying, and really it was totally okay, because Scripture wouldn't say that. So then, yeah, let's, let's kind of pivot just a little bit. So, okay, so euthanasia or 
um, taking somebody off a ventilator, and we can't, <laughs> we would spend a lot of time if we tried to hit all the details of that. Um, to me, something that I do find helpful, and the, again, the line isn't always perfect, but the idea of doing something to actively take someone's life, like the high doses of morphine, I'm not a fan of that. I do, um, in hospice and things like that, um, this isn't a big, necessarily a big conspiracy thing, it's just, I do think well-meaning um, hospice personnel do occasionally kind of know that this, this level may at least have the chance of somebody going. And they feel like that's, it's a mercy, that it's maybe making a difference of a day or two, but I, I at least like to keep the principle of not doing something actively to shorten somebody's life in that way. Withdrawing things that are um, just keeping a body alive or a person alive, I think those are, those are matters of conscience and, and wisdom and can be legitimately thought about, discussed. And I wouldn't be too judgmental of people's little different decisions about that, feeding tubes and things like that, because we are getting to the point where you could keep a body alive for a really long time and spend a huge amount of resources. I had a, a guy um, who'd gotten to be a pretty good friend of mine who uh, was one of my patients and he had a melanoma and he got his first round of chemo, which particularly at that time, the chances of it being successful were really low. And he got it and he called me later and he said, I have been, you know, just hurling on the bathroom floor, wish I could have died, I've, it just about killed me, uh, and they want to give me another round of this stuff, and I'm refusing, will you still be my doctor? Well, yes, in fact, I would probably make exactly the same decision. Uh, so those, those are, I think, very different. I don't think the fact that we see that, that our life is in God's hands I don't see that, that that means you have to do every, like when somebody says, do everything you can possibly do for my dad. To literally carry that out is um, probably not a, a reasonable, practical thing to do. Um, so. That was on a daily basis in the ER. Yeah. Daily basis. Yeah. I mean, and people, family members constantly revoking even the family's wishes. Yeah. So because they were uh, unresponsive, so the family would go, nope, we're, we're not in hospice anymore. Mm -hmm. And you would mm -hmm. turn them into a full code, which means you're yeah. breaking ribs, it's terrible, yeah. it's yeah. not good, they're 95 years old, mm -hmm. it's just not, you know, so there are, that's exactly what you were just talking about. There's right. a lot of that that yeah. goes on almost on a daily basis. So yeah. No, I mean, not, maybe not daily, but you know what I mean. It's yeah, very common. common. Yeah. Very common problem and very... They're hard things to think through. Right? Yeah. And I understand yeah. the family. Yeah. They love their, they're not doing it out of hatred of their family. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, and even even financial considerations, I don't think that's always a cold thing. I've had uh, patients who said, I could do all this stuff and I might get another month or two and it's going to bankrupt my family. And so I'm not, I'm not interested. 
I don't think that's wrong. I mean, to me, those are real considerations that you sift through and you pray through and you make decisions. Um, so, any last thoughts? I know that doesn't answer every question. Yeah. A question about pain relief and mm. the effect that that might have on shortening somebody's life. That it's a very difficult mm. one to, to weigh through, and I think yeah. there is room for latitude on that. Yeah. And it's number one, if they're terminal, they're going to die. And, right. And you're. And even then, even with something like strong pain medication, you don't know exactly what point they're going to take their last breath. Mm -hmm. So it's not exactly like you're, I mean, if somebody just says, ooh, we're going to get one, send them on their way, yep. you know, that's a little different. Right. Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, I do think what, partly even what your intention is, are you trying to right. give relief? You and you, if you can see yeah. this person is, is still in significant pain, yeah. most of us, if we were, in that situation, we would not want to be writhing in pain as we're sure. coming out of this world. And we would appreciate it if somebody just made it a little bit easier for us, even if it made the difference between a few hours. Because often, they're at that point, they're not conscious, they're not communicating, mm -hmm. they're, not, they're not able to communicate at all with anyone yeah. around them. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. I've actually been in the situation where a patient decided to go into comfort care. Um, they, they were just they were on the highest settings we could provide of oxygen uh, they, w without being ventilated, and they, did, and they didn't want to be intubated. Um, and so I, I went to the room, I, I took off the oxygen from them, and I gave a dose of morphine, not a higher dose of morphine than we usually, but just to help, just to help with air hunger. And then a few minutes later, they were gone. It was, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I also think of, uh, an important consideration is like situations where, uh, even in non-terminal situations, but a situation like where a patient patient's mind is just entirely gone. They can't, know, they don't know who they are, where they are, when they are, anything like that. Mm -hmm. and, and anything you do, like I, I tried to insert an NG tube on a patient like that one time. Nasogastric tube, down your nose, into your stomach. Not fun. <laughs> I mean, fortunately, we got to talk, to talk to the family to help them to see mm -hmm. that it was just not going to do anything good for them. It was just going to cause them torment in the last days of their life. Right. Which, yeah. Yeah, I think sometimes, I mean, I, I want us to be very pro-life, but sometimes we get, yeah, that can get confusing where if, if nobody's ever thought through and had somebody talk through things like that, real specific things, um, yeah, you can feel like you're obligated to do every possible procedure that could be done. So more made out our wills and all that stuff and had to do advanced plans planning state. I had one, but Mort had never done one. And I just encourage everybody to do that because, yeah. you know, your family doesn't have to abide by it, but hopefully they would mm -hmm. when that time comes, that these are your wishes and that they shouldn't feel guilty, you know, if they have to do any of the stuff we've been talking about. Right. That this is what you want. Yeah. So you never know at any age what's going to happen to you tomorrow. Right. But, you know, that's a good thing for everybody to do. Yeah. Agreed, and and um, it is something where, yeah, sometimes it only takes one really vocal family member who's a little misguided and maybe feels guilty about, it's not always the case, but sometimes they feel guilty about not having done enough for this loved one before, so we are going to do everything now, and yeah, so that if there's at least something in writing that says that's really not their wish, that's that's a big help. Yeah. Okay, well...
Let's. <laughs> what if it's against the person's will? What if, I know a situation where uh, it was against the person's will to want to pass on. Um, so they wanted everything done, is that what you're saying? Yeah, and I said, if you had to live just like you're living right now, yeah. would you, you know, want to do that or go on and be in heaven? And right, right. She said, I, and it took a minute for her to think about it, she said, I want to live here. Mm. But yet she was still passed out. So that's, yeah. I guess, what was... Well, those, yeah, those are harder things. I mean, that... There are places that have a lot more limited resources than we do in the U.S., so something like that could be. Now, am I, I, let me make sure I'm understanding your question. So this person, you, you, you felt like maybe it was time to pull back a little bit, but they wanted to just keep no, I'm, having the treatment. I'm just the type that I want to do what the right. wishes. Right, right. So I think, yeah, I mean, normally they will get what they ask for within reason. Yes. So whatever it took to help her live, they will usually try to continue. Now they might continue to counsel and. Well, not necessarily if if the power of. Uh, oh, so you're saying like the? Okay, I probably don't. I, I'm not sure I can get deep enough into this to take. What? The other side wanted to go on. Yeah, the other the the husband wanted her to go on. Go on, as in let her let her pass away. Put, put to sleep, yeah, Morgan. Out of her misery, he didn't want his wife in misery. She was stay. That was, that's been a turmoil yeah. since that happened. Yeah. I just wanted to. I probably, we should probably just talk one-on-one -on -one afterwards because I'd have to hear a lot of details to, to sift through that. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. All right, so I think we've hit that enough. So then he goes into, he rebukes his friends for not showing him kindness in his despair. I, I think that is a great word. I've probably told you some of you this before, but I always liked, of all the deep theological things, you know, you ask somebody like R.C. Sproul, what do you want on your tombstone? He said he was kind was what he wanted. That's interesting to me. Um, but I, I kind of get that. It's, it is something that, particularly when somebody is suffering, we don't want to go into overly theological splicing and, and judging words quickly and so on. Like we talked about, they're often their words may be a little rash or not carefully thought out. And... Um, so it says in verse 14, chapter 6, the for the despairing man, there should be kindness from his friend so that he does not forsake the fear of the Almighty. I just think that's a, that's a powerful sentence. And I think it, it is really true. That there are times where we're struggling so much that we, this is an unseen God who we are trying to trust and it is so helpful when there is uh, another believer who you see the kindness of Christ in as they minister and as they talk to you in the midst uh, of a struggle. And I think if we can occasionally be that person, that is a huge thing. And, and it's not that you want them to ultimately lean on you, but that in seeing the kindness uh, of Christ that they they are able to not forsake uh, 
the fear of the Almighty, that, that human connection that um, can often communicate that. And then he further rebukes them for being empty of comfort, wisdom, and help, like a stream that goes dry just when one is desperately thirsty. Uh, so he's, he's getting pretty strong here with his rebukes on his friends. My brothers have acted deceitfully like a wadi. That's, a, that's one of these dry trenches that when it rains, it fills up, but when it gets a little drier, it's got nothing. Um, it, it, you know, in our day and age, we might say, well, they're a fair weather friend. I mean, you're fine when everything's kind of okay, but when things, when I really need you, you're just dry. Um, when they become waterless, they are silent. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. The paths of their course wind along. They go up into nothing and perish. The caravans of Timaluk describes a, a specific example. But So it's this idea that, and again, we want to have a depth of our walk with Christ where we have something to encourage and to refresh uh, when somebody is really struggling. Uh, I think of Psalm 1, uh, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Um, again, that's, that's kind of the refreshment to ourselves, but as we have that, we're able to more often share that, and it's, it's that deep uh, drinking in the Word. I, I do think that is kind of our only hope of really having that kind of ongoing ability to help somebody who's really struggling because um, otherwise we often are scratching our heads or we're um, tending to judge them too harshly like these friends were. Um, I think of that Matthew 10:42. whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple truly I say he will by no means lose his reward. That's probably generally talking about an actual cup of water, that even something as simple as that. But I, I do think it kind of applies here as well. Um, there's a, I didn't write down the, the exact quote, but I, it just always was a pretty impactful moment when um, one of the girls in the Narnia book comes and wants to get a drink, and Aslan is there, and so she's terrified. And... She says, is there somewhere else I could go? And he says, you can drink, but there's no other place uh, where you'll find water. Uh, so, again, that idea that we want to bring what's truly going to help, and it's going to be uh, from the Word. So then he... Um, verse 22 and 23 reminds them he's not asking for material things from them. Uh, 24 through 26, he wants them to give him true teachings, and then he will listen in silence. Um, but again, he kind of rebukes in the midst of that. He says, um, tw verse 25, How forceful are upright words, but what does reproof 
um, from you reprove. And so kind of like, what exactly have I done that you're reproving? Do you think that you can reprove words when the speech of a despairing man is wind? So again, he says, you know, you're, you're coming back at me because of what I've said and my complaint about wishing I'd never been born, but uh, I'm in despair. And so uh, that's an easy target. Um, you know, I, th I think in, a, in medical terms, you'd say he, they haven't accurately diagnosed the problem. So they can't really treat it in any good way because they don't know what's, what the problem really is. And then he shames them for their cruelty to him. Uh, he says, you would even cast lots for orf orphans and barter for your friends. So he's feeling pretty strong about this. He's definitely coming back strongly at them. Uh, and then finally at the end of that chapter, he wants them to look him in the eye and discern his honesty. He says, please look at me. See if I lie to your face. Desist now. Let there be no injustice. Even desist. My righteousness is yet in it. Is there injustice on my tongue? Cannot my palate discern calamities? So he wants them to just deal more face-to-face -face with him and understand that he, he is being honest, that he knows how to tell where trouble comes from himself. All right, so then uh, I guess it's on the back of your sheets there. I kind of wanted to see if we can pull together how not to comfort and counsel the despairing versus how to comfort and counsel the despairing. Um, and it, it's just kind of going back through. We won't go back to all the verses. Uh, maybe you can remember where they came from. But um, So the first how not to would be avoid them um, versus on the other side show up. And then I put a bunch of ways in, the, in our day and age that we can show up. Um, I mean, it, it would be, again, to their credit, at least these guys came and, and hung out with him. And they may have said the wrong things, but at least they came. Yeah. The thing is, it didn't seem like they'd listen. And I was just thinking mm -hmm. a lot of our dialogue, even in the, I'm talking about in the Christian mm -hmm. community, it seems like. I listen to some people that I like, and they sometimes make defensive art. You know, they're saying things and being taken out of context and attacked. Yeah. And and they're really coming back with a good defense. Like, mm -hmm. let hear what I'm saying. I, I don't think you're hearing what I'm saying. Right. Because I'm not attacking you. Mm -hmm. I, I'm. I might be even attacking arguments, but I really love you. I'm not casting in. But I mm -hmm. think. It just seems like there's so much of that that it takes a lot to stop and listen to somebody's yes. argument because you're already you've already convicted them. It's like I don't like you. Yeah. I get it have some politics all the time and stuff. Like heard a lot about not to bring up politics, but you know, Biden did this. I go, right. no, this cruel man went and he. I really have right, nothing right, to do right. with this man attacking him. He said, I don't love the politics. At right, all. right. But in the Christian world, it's really disturbing because we're supposed to. No, and you don't, and kind of like here, like they could mm -hmm. really be believers, and it seems like at the end they were. They, yeah, they made peace at the end. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that, I mean, 
No, that's like good. Believers because they don't listen. Mm -hmm. They just didn't listen mm -hmm. to him. He's making it. I'm really not guilty. Right. Did you hear me? Yeah. No, yeah. Look at me. Hear me. Yep. Good. Um, so, but yeah, for starters, you know, again, real life, it's tempting when somebody's really struggling. You're like, I don't know. I'm not going to know what to say. I'm going to, you know, they're. Uh, it, it's just there are a lot of reasons, and I'm just speaking from my own heart too, where we can come up with reasons to not show up when somebody's struggling, uh, to not engage them. I mean, even you could say, look at what these guys got for their trouble. I mean, they came and hung out with them for a week and then spoke and pretty much said the wrong stuff and got rebuked. And um, But at the same time, Presence, uh, our own presence means a lot. Uh, you know, I think all of, you can probably all think of times. You know, I've mentioned Lydia a few times, and Grandpa, uh, Margaret's dad would be the other one when he had his three months before he died and he was staying in our house. He'd been in our house for 15 years, but the last three months when he was really sick, I mean, I still. Uh, it's not that you want to judge the people who don't show up, but it's a blessing, the ones who do. I mean, the, the ones I remember who came over and spoke with them, and sometimes it's awkward, and you know, there's all sorts of reasons why it's just not that easy. Uh, there were times where Grandpa really was, probably didn't hear what they were saying or know quite what was going on, and then other times he would. And But yeah, I just, I think those are very sweet uh, times and nowadays and and again this was this was convicting to me too to come up with more because it might not always be showing up at the door um, texts that people give I, I love that when somebody's sick in this church or going through a struggle they almost always say you know so appreciative of all the texts and all the um, uh, meals that were brought and so on so I do think um, that sort of presence, and uh, you know, I think we always have to say, and when we're there, lay down the phone. Don't be, <laughs> yeah, oh, oh really, yeah. Uh, you just, you just want to avoid that. Uh, all right. So the second one, let our comfort. This is what you don't want to do. Let our own comfort make us callous to their pain. Uh, Again, it's one thing to try to understand a little bit, but we're not literally feeling the pain. And so, again, some of these rash words are where uh, Job says, you know, you're basically you're judging my words and I'm, he's in pain, he's, he's struggling. Um, so on the other side of that, try to feel the weight and see the shape of their pain and despair in short, see them. Uh, and that's uh, a little bit, Mark, what you were talking about. I mean, really hear them. Really try to try to enter into what they're dealing with so you can really speak to it in a way that, that encourages and helps them. Um, because, again, if when we're comfortable and they're in pain, it can be easy to feel like they should be handling this better. Um, and next one is assume, this is kind of an obvious one, but assume the worst in them. In other words, be cruel versus assume the best in them being kind. Um, 
So they assumed, the friends assumed that, well, you, you must have done something. There's got to be a reason for this, and it's probably that you've got some sin that you're hiding. Um, I've uh, many times said that my, my wife is gifted with thinking the best of people. Um, and I really like that because <laughs> she thinks the best of me. And, and what I will say, at least the effect that has on me is I kind of want, you know, you've seen the, the bumper sticker, I'd, I'd like to be the person my dog thinks I am. <laughs> I'd like to be the man my wife thinks I am too. And so that's, that's a good thing when we're dealing with somebody who's struggling, suffering, needs comfort. Um, better to err on the side of uh, assuming the best. Can you repeat the third one from the top there? Something about their words quickly and rigidly. Listen long. Oh, I, I skipped that, didn't I? Yeah. Judge their words quickly and rigidly. Uh, versus listen long and with grace. So we've kind of hit that, but yeah, again, that idea, again, kind of what Mark was saying, but that realize, um, oh, like there's a, a quote, it's, see if I can find it. Uh, it's something like this. I had to recreate it from memory, so it's not quite right. But when a friend listens to our pain, she sifts out the grains of truth and with a breath of kindness blows away the chaff. Because um, there's going to be some chaff. There's going to be some things that they probably shouldn't have been said. And, uh, you know, if we're the ones suffering, we want to try to keep the fear of God and try to um, not just feel like we have license to say anything and everything we want. But at the same time, when we're listening, not to be too judgmental and rigid in that, but to, to give, extend some grace and that listen long to really know what they're struggling with. Um, all right, and then be preachy uh, versus speak a few words, again, loaded with grace. Um, it's usually just not a time where most people want to hear a a sermon with three points. Um, so uh, it, it's some people are really good at this, but sharing truth and, and sharing even from the word, but doing it in a way that um, just isn't preachy. Like you've you've got it all figured out, and I'm going to just give you these pearls of wisdom. Pull out your pen and write it down. Um, all right, speak only from, this is again what we don't want to do is speak only from our experience and opinions, or even worse, from misinterpretations of Scripture. So again, the, the friend that's spoken so far has said things about, well, here's what I've seen, and you know, like the righteous never um, basically struggle. I mean, he gives all these different things that he says should never happen to the righteous. And he's not right. Uh, versus speak what is true from the word. It can be fleshed out by our experiences. I mean, I do think like the, our speaker at the men's conference was really good at uh, telling stories from his life that sort of drove home the truth from Scripture. So as long as you're really talking about a scriptural truth, yeah, I mean, 
we don't have to just quote scripture. I think it's helpful to give examples of how God worked that in your life. But, but not to go off into just our own opinions and experiences. Um, next one down, don't imply we would do better. We've said that a few times. Empathize with humility. So again, because probably we wouldn't have done better. And even if we would have, that's by the grace of God. And so that's the last thing somebody needs to hear is you berating them that, that I would have done better than, than this. How can you struggle so badly? Plus, I often think God might humble us and take us to that place and show us that yeah, you, you didn't do better. Um, Next one, chide or shame them. Uh, and again, that doesn't mean we never, ever, you know, if just somebody's getting into flagrant sin as it's going on and on as you, you're counseling them, there's, there's a place. It just should be gentle and slow and uh, work them through that. Uh, give them hope in their despair. Um, Tom Webb, our biblical counselor, um, I send a lot of people to, uh, you know, sometimes I'll just say, so that go okay? And one of his more common summary statements is, I think they left with hope. And that's clearly a goal that he has, is to uh, begin by giving them hope, especially if they're in despair. Uh, on the other hand, the last one, we don't want to give them false hopes. Again, that the friend who, who said, well, if you'll just be righteous, then, you know, everything good's going to happen in your life. Um, instead, nudge them always toward God. So their hope should be in God. It should be in eternal things. Um, God may relieve them in the, like even depression when I'm speaking or when Tom is speaking with them about depression, it isn't always that we can definitely get you to a place where you feel joyful and happy all the time. Um, that may not uh, happen, but it's God working in the midst of that that you can point them to, um, whether or not he chooses to give them relief on that level. All right, and I think we will blaze through chapter 7. Um, so man in general has a life of struggle and difficulty. Um, somehow that always, I, I think of this quote you may have heard. Uh, I had to look up where it comes from. Thomas Hobbes in 1651, speaking of life, the life of men in certain circumstances, consists of continual fear and danger of violent death, and the life of man is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. Whew. I don't know that we all have that, but it's, um, there are people who do. In fact, I think that was actually written about what happens when social constructs break down and there's no godly rule and they're going to war. So Ukraine might... Uh, might be looking at something like that. But even in general, uh, Job says, is not man forced to labor on earth are not his days like the days of a hired man as a slave who pants for the shade and as a hired man who eagerly waits for his wages. So a man in general has a life 
of struggle and difficulty. And then specifically, uh, Job, it says, has been allotted months of emptiness, trouble, misery, and hopelessness. He says, I am allotted months of vanity. Nights of trouble are appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise? But the night continues, and I am continually tossing until dawn. My flesh is clothed with worms and a crust of dirt. My skin hardens and runs. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to an end without hope. And just a dismal description of where he was. Uh, he sees only the grave ahead of him. There are times when there are times in Job when he talks about things with an eternal perspective, and there are times when he just talks about I'm going to be I'm not going to be on the earth. I'm going to be gone. Uh, this would be more one of those. Remember that my life is but breath. My eye will not again see good. The eye of him who sees me will behold me no longer. Your eyes will be on me, but I will not be. When a cloud vanishes, it is gone. So he who goes down to Sheol does not come up. He will not return again to his house, nor will his place know him anymore. Um, so he sees that that's, that's where he's going. I think he thinks he's going to be there pretty soon uh, because he says, Therefore I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Um, and then he, he talks about what this sovereign God has done to him. And he, I mean, you see that he understands God is ultimately doing this. Um, Am I the sea or the sea monster that you set a guard over me? If I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me by visions so that my soul would choose suffocation, death rather than my pains. I waste away. I will not live forever. Leave me alone for my days are but a breath. So he sees in, in kind of not restraining his mouth. And again, I, I am not a proponent of just the saying you often hear is, uh, you can yell at God, he can take it. Yes, he can, but can you take it? Uh, I, I wouldn't recommend uh, abandoning the fear of God. And even though he says he's not restraining, he's, Job is still... Uh, rather careful in at least compared to what we sometimes hear but but he is openly saying here are the things here's the bitterness of my soul here are the things that i see you doing um setting a guard terrifying me to death with dreams and visions you won't leave me alone again we talked about that last week the nearness of god is supposed to be our good but in this case job just feels like no it's terrible i wish he would just leave me alone um, and the yeah the last thing I kind of want to leave you to think about um, the weight of glory uh, God's attention to us can be excruciating in its care um, let me read you a, a ver passage you probably all know Romans 8, 28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And then he goes on. From there, verse 32, He who did not spare his own Son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Um, and then 1 Peter 4.19, Those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Um, you know, when he says, I, I wish you would leave me alone, um, the verse, uh, and then 17 and 18 in Job, he says, What is man that you magnify him and that you are concerned about him? that you examine him every morning and try him every moment. Will you never turn your gaze away from me, nor let me alone until I swallow my spittle? So I do think it, it's almost the, <laughs> the kindness of God, the concern of God that sometimes, at least in Job's case, when it's taken to this level, he's afraid of. Like, leave me alone. You know, why do you, why do you magnify me like this? Like, so again, my old uh, book friend, C.S. Lewis, you know, talked about the weight of glory, this, this sense that God is actually concerned about us to the level where he can't, he won't leave us alone in that sense. He wants us to be conformed to the image of his son, uh, in the end, it will be joy. Uh, you look at Hebrews 12 where it talks about disciplining us to holiness, that that's not something that we love. It's not pleasant. It says all discipline is not pleasant, but it ends in this holiness and this joy and this being in the presence of this God with no sin and every tear dried. But, but in the meantime, that it's almost this excruciating love this excruciating attention to who we are and what we're becoming and to become like his son um, so it is i mean it's just part of god in his holiness not uh, there's the verse in lamentations that says he does not willingly afflict the children of men and that that we i've talked about this a couple times but that word for willingly means from the heart it's like the affliction is not what he's after. He's not looking to afflict us, but that he does, he allows it, he brings it, he ordains it uh, because um, he wants us to become like Christ. And in Job, he's just asking that question. Uh, and he, he, at one point he calls him, uh, verse 20, What have I done to you, O watcher of men? So he's this this one who watches us. Um, and that is kind of where he ends up with, why me? He says, have I sinned? What have I done? Now, again, he knows he has sin. In fact, he says, uh, why have you set me as your target so that I am a burden to myself? Why then do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I will lie down in the dust and you will seek me, but I will not be. So, it's, it is kind of that, why me? Have I done some special sin? I think he knows he's a sinner in, in that general sense, but that there, there isn't something special like my friends think 
that I've done. And if there is, please tell me because I feel like I've got a big target on my back. Um, and if I do, can't you forgive me? You know, can't you just take away that iniquity instead of the, all this suffering and struggle? Um, so he is, he is wrestling with a lot of questions that, again, if we think uh, over the years of our life, we may have had some times where we did feel like, I wish you'd just leave me alone and just let me live my life. Uh, and did I do something specially bad that, that all this is happening to me? Uh, any last comments, questions, statements? Okay, it's a lot to digest. And we will um, go faster as we go because some of these things get repeated. So the first time we hit them, you know, they're worth sifting through. If it's mostly a repetition, we'll probably go a little faster. So don't despair. Let me pray. Father, we thank you again that uh, you are a God who loves us, uh, that uh, you are one who uh, is a faithful creator and that you bring suffering, but when you do, uh, you do it for good purposes. Uh, you are for us, not against us. And Lord, you do give us much to rejoice in and to be thankful in. Uh, you relieve us in so many ways and uh, so many struggles, and you give us hope and purpose. Father, we thank you for all those things, and we do pray that we would be able to share those good things uh, with those who struggle, uh, that we would be able to even counsel ourselves uh, when things come upon us that, that make us struggle. Uh, Lord, thank you that you are patient. Thank you that you have chosen us. You have called us beloved and you keep us as well. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.